they all thought I was insane. Like, how can you leave something you're not only good at, but you've created a really good life around? What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. Hey, I'm Rick Jordan. I'm here with Jeff Nishwitz today. What's up, buddy? Hey, Rick. I'm I'm ready to shake it. I don't know if everybody's ready to be shaken. Dude, everybody should shake it every single day. And I got a crazy question for you leading right off the bat for the company culture guy. You ready? What, yeah, right on. What is one thing that completely kills company culture right off the bat? Tolerance. Tolerance. Not since not in the sense of we people always say we got to tolerate differences and all that. Absolutely. But the number one culture killer is the fact that we tolerate people in situations that are not in alignment with the culture. So we're always trying to figure out the next best thing, but the reality is the biggest anchor is what we're what and who we're tolerating that are not in alignment with what we say our culture and values are. That's it. Number one. Well, wow, we're diving right in here. And I, I love this, man, because one of my biggest assets and also one of my biggest detriments I feel is compassion. And I've seen that hinder some business decisions that I've had to make in the past, especially when it came to hiring or firing. And that's really, I mean, you're encompassing it with tolerance, right? Yeah. Well, compassion is a very tricky thing because, you know, the way I flip it is think about feedback. People say it's really hard to give other people constructive feedback because I want to be nice. I said, well, so what is nice? You have a judgment of that person that they're not performing, but you choose not to tell them. That doesn't feel compassionate or nice. Yeah. Whose responsibility is that? That's you just beating around the bush, right? Are you doing that person any favors? I don't think so. No. We're not doing anybody a favor, but they, we call it nice. We say, well, I'm just compassionate. Well, no, compassion is, compassion to me is telling someone the truth, but doing it in a way with the fewest amount of judgments and doing it in a supportive way. So they leave the conversation saying, well, Rick really cares about me and wants me to get better. And by the way, he also walks the talk. So I trust him. So I'm open to hearing him. You do that. That's compassionate feedback. And that's how people grow. That's beautiful. What's your favorite strategy on the on the unicorn and, and fairy dust side? What's your favorite strategy for building a company's or nurturing a company's culture? Mm. It's funny you use that word unicorn because I would have used the phrase secret sauce. So it's simple. <laughs> it's, uh, it's simple but hard as hell. And it's vulnerability in leadership and creating a culture of vulnerability because – I have my own podcast and someone said it better than I can about a month ago. They said that vulnerability is the only shortcut to trust. It's the only shortcut to trust. Because wow. mostly trust gets built over time. It gets destroyed by little things and it takes time to rebuild it. But vulnerability and that willingness to be vulnerable and authentic and all the pieces to that, we may get into more of what it is, but vulnerability is the unicorn, but it's not a unicorn. It's the secret sauce. And it's simple, but it's hard because we've been told, don't be vulnerable. We've been told that for decades. I mean, I'm 61 years old. I've heard it from the time I was a kid. I've heard it in my entire professional life of about 40 years. Vulnerability, that's something that 
You wish politicians would even pick up on it. Right? Oh, oh, stop it. Really? We're going to go there? We're recording this the, the morning after the election. I know really? this isn't going to publish until like a month from now. So, but you know what? We won't, uh, we won't probably won't even know the results by that point, anyways. Right? Well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. But, but really, though, because I mean, you think of people that are in power, you know, or whether it's leadership in a company, leadership in a, in a church, leadership in a country, you know, vulnerability is something that I see a lot that's almost fake in a lot of people because it, they bring it out only in like weird moments. I'm talking like really weird moments to where they're, they're almost having to process it and say, well, maybe I should be vulnerable here because I'm losing the crowd or I'm losing my staff. Maybe I should like throw in some very open story about me in the moments and then maybe they'll come back over to my side. Yeah, that's not vulnerable. That's not authentic because vulnerability is about authenticity. And I think part of that, Rick, is they misunderstand what vulnerability is. And that's part of what terrifies us. You know, I've had leaders, uh, one of my favorite stories is I was talking to, and it happened to be a, I don't know that it changes the story, but it was a woman who led her business. And we were talking about vulnerability. And the issue that came up is over the prior eight months, she had been taking care of her father who was dying. And he had died like two months earlier. And I said, wow, that had to be really difficult. She said, it was gut-wrenching. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was the most beautiful thing to be with my dad, but to watch him die. And, and I miss him. And I said, does your staff here have a sense of that? And she goes, oh, no. I said, well, why not? She said, well, I don't want them to. Here's what she said, quote, what was I supposed to do? Come in here to the office and cry on the floor? Because that's what I do at home. I said, well, no, I'm not saying that, but notice how she went to some extreme emotional reaction saying that's what vulnerability is. And I said to her, what do you think your team might conclude of you that you've shown no emotion? And she, sort of that light bulb went on. She said, wow, that I'm cold, that I'm indifferent, that I don't really have any compassion or empathy at all. I said, well, exactly. So too often people think that vulnerability is about emotions, but vulnerability is day-to-day -day little stuff. Here's what leaders can do to be more vulnerable. Acknowledge you don't have all the answers and don't pretend to. It's okay to say, you know what, I could use some help on this. To ask for help and offer help. Uh, be incredibly open to feedback from others. Because if you're open, that's vulnerability. I'm, you know, I really want to hear what you think about how I'm doing. And go to people and say, I want to get better at this. Can you help me by giving me feedback? That's Those are all vulnerabilities. It's not about emotions. I do think the storytelling is important. And one of the other things I think is a, a big shift that needs to happen in our organizations that we've, we're, we're so trapped in the old way is most of us, I don't know how old you are, Rick, but if you're, if you're 40 or older, yeah. uh, 37. Nice. I like you. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> <laughs> right but man, if you're 40 or older, you've been told that we don't want drama at work. And what that means is leave your personal lives at work. And yet the companies that have the best culture are those that say, you know what, we know you have a life going on. In fact, we want you to bring your personal lives to work. We want to know what's going on in your life. Yeah, we don't need the drama, but the drama is what happens when we're not allowed to do that. Isn't that the worst? The too? It, it oh, it's, 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 it's disgusting because you see – I've seen team, you know, that will just bottle things up, employees that will just bottle things up because there's things going on at home. And they will come in with that, like in their subconscious, 
You know, and then it affects everything else because it's ignoring it, but yet it's still eating away at them. And there's never a point where something outside of work will not affect what you're doing inside work. It's impossible because that's like it's almost like you're you're having a split personality at that point, which unless somebody is generally having mental capacity issues like that, a, a legitimate mental illness, it's impossible for anybody who is sane, I feel, to actually completely separate work and life. You know, I always say this too, like integration is one of my favorite words because you're not more than one person. You know, what you do at work affects your life. What you do in life affects your work. So it is just life, period. It's not this separation of powers like church and state, you know, which is also an illusion in my opinion, too. But but it's just it is what it is, you know, and they, they say, oh, you know, I'm the ones that will say I'm punching out at five o'clock. Right. And then I'm going to go home and I'm not going to think about it anymore. Even for for blue collar, man, you know, I I know like I I look back to when I was working at McDonald's, my very, very first job that I ever had as a W-2 employee and I'm flipping burgers and everything else. But still, man, I would maybe I'm psycho like this, but I would go home and start thinking about, well, what's a better way that I could pump out, you know, another 12 burgers every 10 minutes? You know, because just always trying to improve or saying we dropped too much food today, you know, and the ones that are apathetic and don't care, they're still going home thinking about work, but probably in a negative fashion saying, I wish I didn't have this job instead. You know, I wish I had, I was doing something else with my life. So regardless, whether it's positive or negative, you're still taking work home with you and you're still taking home to work. This is where I would, this is where I jump up and scream, amen, Rick, because (laughs) that is, I mean, People still believe they can turn it off and separate it. You know, people will say, well, I'm one person at work. I'm another at home. And I'll say, well, which one's the lie? And they'll say, what do you mean? I said, well, if they're not the same, one of them has to be a lie. Because other, and, and you know, only a very small percentage of people can even pretend to play that game. And that's what you said is such a great example. There's a concept that I offer to, to leaders and companies that they're terrified of, but it's so easy and simple, which is to incorporate what I call a check-in into your meetings, especially now the last six, eight months when they're going through COVID and all this uncertainty, the check-in is really simple. You start off a meeting and everybody in the meeting just says, so what's going on for you? How are you, how are you doing today? Which is their space to say, you know what? I got, had a call with my dad last night and he's really scared about the virus and he's not getting out and he can't get out to see his friends. He's really struggling. You know, he's 85 years old and it it makes me sad. The ability to say that means now that person's more present because they were thinking that in the meeting, they're thinking about their call with dad or, Hey, you know what? Yesterday I got to see my grandparents or my kids got to see the grandparents. That was a really cool day because it lets it out and it says, this is not only safe here, but this is what this is about. Cause this is what real people do. We're actually going to be like real people here because the, the visual I created Rick is if you don't do those things, you might as well put a sign outside your door that says no humans allowed. And you know, there's a, there's a big, like a garbage bin, a huge garbage bin and you throw your personal lives like in a backpack in there, you can pick it up at the end of the day. Is that really the kind of culture you want? Not for my companies. Definitely not for mine either. And that's the, that's the, the, it's such a fallacy too, that this can even be a possibility. That's the thing that blows my mind saying, well, don't bring that crap in here. You know, what it, it makes no sense because you're asking exactly what you're saying is don't be human. Don't be real. Start lying to me every day. Just bottle it up. 
Yeah, uh, is that good for anything? Is that good for your marriage at home? Is that good with your kids? Is that good for your your colleagues at work? It's good for nobody. Well, so much of that gets in the way of, of personal and professional because one thing I like to talk about, and it is about culture because everything affects culture. It be, either feeds culture or destroys culture. And that is about emotions. You mentioned the emotions. And so the way I see emotions, our emotions are energy. They're a form of energy. They're not good or bad. I hate the labels. Well, we have positive emotions and negative emotions. No, they're all just emotions. They're energy. And they have to come out some way. What happens if you push them down, they either attack you or they come out what I call sideways. So that situation at work where, you know, some little thing and someone snapped and you go, wow, that seemed like a lot for that event. Well, I can tell you why that happened. Either that was something that happened a week ago with the same person that hadn't been addressed, or, you know, there was something happened on the right end from work or at home with the kids that they're carrying that around and it comes out at the wrong people. Well, that's not very fair. So if we can just create space to have this come out very naturally, like human beings again, it's really... I mean, it is so funny how simple this is. Let's just be human. Let's be human <laughs> for, for sure. a change. Let's try it out. Let's the, try humanity. The simplistic side of things is always what eludes a lot of people in a lot of topics, especially <laughs> something like culture, which is seemingly complex, but you know, it it is pretty simplistic. Just allow people to be freaking people. <laughs> yeah. You know? And give them the space to to be able to be that. Now coming out because you were a lawyer at one point, right? Before you moved into this? Uh, yes. 17 years worth, man. I like to say I was a slow learner. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm assuming that some of I was this, really good at it, but hated it. Yeah. You probably had like a, a, a woke moment at some point to be like, hey, this is maybe, I don't know, what was the culture like? Or what was like where the hammer dropped? You know, like, I'm not doing this anymore. No, actually, the culture was great because what had happened was I'd worked for a big law firm where the culture wasn't great. I started my own firm. I will tell you, when I quit practicing law, we had a great firm. I had helped build it, had a couple partners, great clients. I was making lots of money. I had balance in my life. I wasn't killing myself like I had, like most lawyers do. So I had it figured out. I had created the unicorn experience of being a lawyer. And that's when I realized I hated the work I did. I love building the business and the people, but I realized I don't, the day-to-day practice of law, it took me getting to that point to realize, oh, I hate this. And I had to leave. So I left on top. I mean, I, my friend, my, my now ex-wife, they all thought I was insane. Like, Hmm. how can you leave something you're not only good at, but you've created a really good life around? I said, cause I don't love it. In fact, it's killing, sucking my soul and I got to go. Wow. So there's a phrase, I'm assuming it's your phrase, live a life you were meant to live. What is (laughs) that? I'm sure I wasn't the first one. Probably not, but still, I mean, it's perfect for what you're talking about right now. What does that mean to you in this context? Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because most people hear that and misunderstand it because what they think it means is there's this thing they're meant to do and they have to find that thing. Kind of like in a relationship, I have to find my one soulmate. And for some people, that is that. But what I really mean is that you can't live the life you're meant to until you really get clear on who you are and allow yourself to be that person. And when you are, whatever it is, it will unfold. And it's not a particular thing. It's how you show up in it. So some pe- for some people, it is a change. For some people, it's not. But you can't live the life you're meant to if all you're doing is faking it. And 
you know, my, I don't I'll forget the number. My second book was all about that because it was called Unmask, letting go of who you're supposed to be and unleashing your true leader because everybody thinks they have to be something for someone else. But once you're willing to start taking those masks off and it's scary stuff. I mean, I, I didn't want to take those masks off. I didn't want to admit what was true about me, but as I did, I became more authentic. I became more just who I am. And my life just opened up very differently. So it's not a search for something that I'm meant to do. It's when I just allow myself to do this work in here, my life unfolds exactly as it is meant to. Yeah, those masks almost become like a prison of sorts too because you're you're stuck in, and you might even, when you say things like that, I start to visualize it. You know, thinking like, you know, instead of a shoe rack, I've got like a mask rack that sits up on my wall. And anybody listening, just close your eyes for a minute because, and imagine this, right? You, I know in my closet, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit into fashion. I've got a lot of shoes. And of course, my wife has a lot of shoes too, but they, they cover like a wall, right? But just imagine that even if you only have like five pairs of shoes, you know, sitting in your mudroom or going out to, to your side door of your house. But imagine that those shoes being replaced with masks with masks. Are you throwing on a different, different mask when you're going to work? Are you throwing on a different mask or maybe multiple masks when you're with your husband or your wife, or maybe another one that you choose to wear just with your friends? Yeah. And that's a process, isn't it, Jeff, to, to just it begin is. to like take these out back into a bonfire and just torch them to the, just to the depths of hell. <laughs> Well, and it is, it's, it, there, here's the way I look at masks. There's, first of all, they're heavy. There's a weight to them. You know, we feel like we're, we have this weight in our life. A lot of it, the mask, because we're always on. I'm never myself. I'm just always on. And it's, do I have the, I am actually confident mask when I don't always feel confident. I'm the good enough mask. I'm the pretty enough. I got enough money mask, whatever it is. So I've got multiple masks. And it'd be great that sometimes we can go in the backyard and throw them in the fire, but often it takes like a period of taking them off just long enough to try it out and to, and to tell ourselves that's bull, that's a bullshit story. I, I, it's a bullshit story that I need that mask, but you know, I may not take it off the rest of my life. I might put it right back on and say, okay, that was kind of cool. I kind of, so taking the mask off, is like getting that shot of oxygen that I need it. Wow, but, like you're suffocating from behind like the I'm mask. Like I'm suffocating. Yeah. Well, think about the movie. I think the movie was called The Iron Mask. I don't know if you remember that. Like the mask in the medieval ages were massive heavy things. Well, what if that's really what they're like? And over time, we need to lighten them, which means we're going to melt down some of the edges, chip away. So, yeah, sometimes hmm. it happens pretty fast, but sometimes it takes some work. Yeah. Well, it always takes some work and it's always messy and it means starts with being honest with yourself. It's a heck of a um, metaphor, man. Just the suffocation behind those things too, because what happens when you don't, I mean, legitimately don't have oxygen, you start to get lightheaded. You can't think clearly you, your, your physical body starts to be affected by that. That's the same thing from a mindset perspective or when you have to try to be somebody that you're not for another person at work, at home, wherever, just throwing these things on. And you know, when you try it to take it off, you know, a lot of times, and I found this too, right? If you, if, and this is me, this is just how I treat things. Like if I, I went through this process a few years back of taking masks off, you know, and do I still have some left? Maybe. 
you know, but if I had 100 masks that I had to wear, I might be down to my last two, <laughs> you know, so I, I've taken, I've taken the majority off, but when they're off, I tend to, I almost think of them, think of them as a porcelain in a way. So when I take them off, I can just take a hammer to them or I can just smash them on the ground and they're just done, completely done because I can see it's just like somebody who drops a lot of weight that keeps their fat clothes in the closet thinking that you could go back to that at any point in time. It's okay if I feel like I want or if I gain the weight or you know what, here's the toughest part with the masks that I see too. If you take the mask off and you don't get the right feedback from whatever person in your life, your boss, your partner, your, your spouse, whoever, your kids, you don't get the feedback like, well, I could just put it back on because it's easier. What if you just smashed the shit out of it and said there's no more? Well, if you can literally, if you literally do that, that's great. You know, one of the things I tell people is our mind and our unconscious is incredibly powerful. And it tells us, it tells us we're further along than we are. And the reason is because it's safe. If you think about this, our subconscious is designed to do one thing, maybe two. One is to keep us safe and to keep us right, to make sure we're right. So safety is probably not physical safety, but it's emotional safety. It's, hey, I'm okay here. I've got enough acceptance. I've got enough of that. And so if we're doing that, you know, and someone says, well, I've completely obliterated that. I, I will tell you, I'll give, I won't give names here, but I see this regularly. You know, not a politician I, I, you're talking about here, no? No, no, <laughs> no I'm not. I, I'm not, actually. I'm These joking with you. I know I just won't use names. Yeah. Well, we, that could, we need hours and weeks for that conversation. <laughs> That's right? a multiple-part series. Oh, That's what, God. Yeah. So I've met people who, in the first meeting with them, and actually I've thought about a few times in dating situations, they'll sit down and tell me about how they have taken off all their masks or whatever their metaphor is. They've done all this work. I don't have this. I'm not needy anymore. And every time I hear that, I will tell you, I perk up and kind of go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking in behind without saying it. If you really have, you wouldn't even be telling me that. Like, why are you telling me that? So no matter how far we think we've come, I tell people, it's great. You've come a long way, but don't mislead yourself and don't let yourself be misled. And I say, why don't I just keep doing the work? Like, what's the harm in taking off a mask, even if you think it's gone? Because what if it's still there? Then that act of taking it off is taking off maybe another layer. And if it doesn't, there's no harm, no foul. So I believe this is a lifelong journey until, you know, the moment of my last breath. I'll keep taking off masks and chipping away and making sure they're where they need to be, That's whether a cool it's in a point. fire or smashed. I, I really like that point because there was, when I was talking about fat clothes, you know, I, I ditched all my fat clothes when I lost weight, but there was one thing that I kept and it was a, it was a Chicago Bears jersey because it was personalized with Jordan on it with my last name on the back. And I only kept it because it looked cool, right? But then every time I'd go into my closet, I would take a look at, I would see the jersey and I'm like, well, there's no way I can fit in that anymore. You know, I'm like, I'm like a skin tight large now because I've bulked up and I've lost weight. And this was like almost a three XL jersey because jerseys <laughs> are meant to be big. Like that thing is like a horse blanket now if I was going to try to put this thing on. But even though I kept it just because it was a cool looking jersey at the same time looking at it, it's like, man, 
I really did go a long way. I really came a long way from where I was. And I also know that I'm never going to go back to that too, because the work in this, you know, I'm using nutrition and weight loss as an example in living healthy, but the work never stops. It's still moderation. And just like taking that mask off because there's, there's neural pathways and there's also human nature that come into play too, to where you constantly have to fight some of those things, like the need for acceptance from other people, the, the responsibility that you might thrust onto somebody else for your own happiness. Those are things that you always have to fight and, and make sure that you're still just owning your own life and going through that process yourself. Well, I love that, Rick. And, and the key to me in that is the work is about addressing the beliefs more than the behaviors. I might start with new behaviors. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's so prevalent that it just it's common, common understanding. Now, you talk about people who've lost a lot of weight. So many people who have lost significant amount of weight, they look fabulous. And every, like you said, the feedback, everyone around them is saying, oh, my God, you look so great. And it's genuine. And yet they say, but when I look in the mirror, I still see that fat person because their belief system hasn't changed. Yeah. Their body has changed and they engaged in some behaviors that helped to create a different outcome in the exterior, but they've still got that voice on the inside. And to me, the work is about, yes, you want to get healthy, but what can you do to, I call it, you know, debunking or dumping that old story that allows you to actually see yourself differently, even though the exterior has changed because hmm. that's the work. Because when my beliefs shift now, I'm less concerned about the subconscious because subconscious is driven by my beliefs, not by my logical thinking. That's why when people say, when they're dealing with a struggle, this is my favorite. They'll say, man, Jeff, you know, those are some really good points. I think I can need to go think about this. I say, Oh my God, don't do that. <laughs> Well, let's say, well, why not? And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, I said, two or three questions for you. Generally, they know enough at this point. I'll say, where, what is the source of all the lies in yourself? Oh, in my head. Okay. And what is the source of all the stories and beliefs about yourself? Oh, in my head. I said, so you want to go in there to think about what's going on. You actually, that's like the drunk, the alcoholic who says, you know what? I want to stop drinking. I'm going to go to the bar and drink a fifth. That's not a good strategy. And they'll say, what am I supposed to do? I said, it's part, it's a lot of stuff in here. It's about using your intuition. It's about asking questions and feeling the answer more than thinking the answer. What are, Look at the patterns in your life. Sure. Are you talking about more actions? Because I, I was thinking, like, what's a way to get out of your head in those moments? Because you're right, man, that I, I'm with you. That's where everything's like wrapped up in. And then everything becomes confusing is when you just get trapped in your own thought process. It's about, first of all, acknowledging that there's going to be answers other than your head. If you can't acknowledge that, you can't hear them. And I call them just listening usually to your body. You know, it's literally, I mean, this has happened hundreds of times now in my own journey and in others, I'll actually use one example of mine. So five or six years ago, I tell this story a lot. It's about a transition in my business. I was struggling with the direction I was on. I liked, but it felt empty. And I really wanted to go deeper in my coaching work, but I, it was a different model, right? So I tell my coach, I said, I'm struggling. I don't know whether to go the direction I'm on or this direction I feel called to. And his feedback to me, his answer back, he said, Jeff, you're asking yourself the wrong question. Jeff, the question is not which way to go. And I'll quote him. He said, the question, Jeff, is do you have the balls to bring them together? 
That's the question. And when he said that, and my girlfriend at the time was sitting next to me, I literally felt a pang in my gut and I made a sound like, Ugh. and she said, what was that? I said, that was my body saying, that's exactly what the question is. And that's what this is about. I was saying which way, because I was afraid and I didn't know I was afraid, but that sound that just said, Ugh, told me he just nailed it. The answer is, am I going to do it or not? And I chose to bring them together. If I had been going with my head, I would have created all sorts of stories about the best strategy, the best tactics, the most practical, the most financially, whatever. That moment, and I've had hundreds of them, was a moment of listening to the truth versus the stories that I was trying to create in my head. Wow. I can't, it's interesting because we came from company culture into this. And it's, isn't this where it starts though, even with culture? Because when you look at leaders, Leaders are some of the most messed up people <laughs> to begin with. They, they really are. You know, it's, it's a drive that, that is within us, you know, even from being an entrepreneur. You know, I say, always say that I've got a lot of insanity that's just ingrained in me just because of the, the seemingly stupid things that I do that somehow end up working out. You know, I, I don't get stuck in strategy very much. That's why I have people that are good at that around me. And I'll just say, hey, we're going to go in this direction. But in order to lead other people, I also feel that you very much have to be a leader for yourself first. And coming into what we're talking about here, because it, there's something you have also called stickless accountability, right? And I, I, I saw this and I was looking at it, you know, and the question I had is what can it do for an organization? And that's great, but what can it also do for you, yourself, your own person? Because isn't that where it starts anyways? Everything's about me. I mean, that's, we don't want to say that everything's about me, everything's about you. And it is, I think it's a foreign thought, but it's getting there. Uh, I was on a Zoom call just last week, someone I've never met. And she said, you know, tell me about your business, what you do. And I, I describe it to her about helping people grow from the inside out into their leadership. And she said, well, I'm looking at your LinkedIn page and it doesn't really say that. I said, uh-oh, well, what's it say? He said, well, it says here you help leaders grow their businesses. I said, well, that's the same thing. Because if, if, the, if the leader can grow themselves and work on themselves, that allows them to lead better and create better and to impact better. And when they do that, their business grows exponentially. And she looked at me like, like, it was, like, like I was a unicorn. I said, oh, my God, that a makes so much unicorn. sense. I never thought about yeah. a lavender unicorn. Yeah, now we went to that. <laughs> I mean – but to me, that is where it starts. It starts with me and it's about working on me because all the tactics, you know, I always say I can give you a leader, every tool in the toolbox. I can give you all the tools, but if you're not the person who's worthy of trust and you don't show up in a way that people trust you, what good are those tools? You, you don't have anything to work with. You just got the best tools in the world. Wow. But you don't, the person handling them doesn't know what to do with them. Right on. Is a lot of this from your second book, Unmasked? It's from a compilation of a life's journey, really, Rick. And I really, the last 10 years have been an accelerant because as we said earlier, I, you know, I was a lawyer, very practical. It was very business mindset. Then I got into coaching, but I was still very X's and O's guy. And, and I was, and the truth for me is I was a train wreck in my life and almost didn't realize it. You know, I was driven, I was engaging in behaviors that were not healthy and I didn't think anything of it. I thought that was just normal. 
And it's about 10 years ago, I went to a retreat. I went to this men's retreat that I didn't even know why I was going, except some friends said, I think you'll get something out of it. And I went to that retreat and I left, I walked into that retreat. I didn't know this, but if you'd asked me beforehand, I would say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good guy. And I left that retreat and my own self-reflection told me, you know, Jeff, you're not, you're not a good man. You're a nice guy. And I said, I don't want to be a nice guy. I want to be a good man. And I started on this journey of, I call it ripping it up, shaking it up. You talk about shaking things up. I, I now use a metaphor of snow globes every time I speak about how important it is to shake things up within ourselves. And it's been messy. It's been painful. But my growth has allowed me to grow and else to serve others better through that. Not just about the business. It's, it's about life. Yeah. This first step in the stickless accountability is crystal clarity of expectations. Right. How are you? I always say, hey, before anything else, you have to, you know, this is part of all in for me, right? Because we all have our, our own things. But all, the A in all in is acceptance. And just accepting that that is just the straight truth is where you're at right now. But at this moment, this very instant, you could draw a line and say, I'm not looking at, at behind it anymore, except for reference, you know, maybe like those masks that we were talking about earlier. I, Sure, I might take it off for a sec, but then I could take a look back and see what I was like when I had that mask on and what it's like, maybe the freedom the, out of the prison from actually having that mask off to begin with. But when you're talking about crystal clarity on expectations, you know, there's something that's, that's here, especially the what and the when. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, expect there's accountability is one of the most messed up things in our culture, not just corporately, but individually. It's a stupid word. Yeah. Cause well, it's, it's, it, it is, but I want to bring meaning to it because it's stupid because we don't even understand it. That's why it's stupid. And everybody I met thinks they're incredibly accountable. And the truth is virtually none of us is really accountable when you look at our actions, but the expectations is what expectations do we have of others in the conversation? But there's a, there's a couple words we need to totally get rid of around accountability, and that is the idea of holding others accountable. I tell people you should never utter holding again because that means you're doing something for someone else. The idea of accountability is they are self-accountable, and the key word we have to add is commitment. We live in a culture where we don't talk about commitments. If you think about over the last month, how often have you said the word commitment or commit? My guess is it's zero unless you've looked at this differently because you talk about committed relationships, but commitment means I make a commitment to you that I will do something by a certain time and we're in a certain way. Well, once I make a commitment, now it's a personal integrity matter. Now I'm likely to do it and to do whatever it takes to make sure that happens because I made a promise to you. But we don't like that word. We we keep things loose. Hey, can you get that to me next week? Sure. I don't even know when it is. And then you don't do it. And I said, well, you know what? That's not really helpful. Next time, can you do better? Absolutely. And the cycle perpetuates. When you think about, if you ask yourself, how often do I do what I said I'm going to do when I said I'm going to do it? You start going, oh, crap. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Oh man, really? Is that really what you're asking me? Oh, don't, and don't there's talk a canvas twice. that's in my office that says, <laughs> do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, exactly how you said you'd get it done. And that's what it means to be fully accountable. 
That's full accountability. Anything less than that is out of account, out of account. And that's, it has been, I'll tell you, it has been transformational for myself and my life. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means I'm aware when I'm not perfect and I do a better job of communicating. It also means I ask a lot more questions up front that gets to the expectation level. You know, when I do this in front of a group, I'll go to someone and say, look, let's say it's you. I'll say, Rick, uh, imagine these two conversations. Hey, Rick, uh, why don't you come into an office? Come in my office. I want to talk to you about a project to work on. You go, okay. I say, Rick, I want you to come into my office. and I want to talk to you about some commitments around the project. How's it feel? And they, everybody, 100% says, I just kind of clenched up. Like commitments? Oh, yeah. my God, this is really serious now. Yeah, exactly. That's because you totally changed the conversation and the expectations because you literally use the word commitment. And when I talk to you, it's going to be, hey, Rick, when can you commit to have this back to me? Now, if you say Friday at noon and I say, you know, I really need it tomorrow. Now we're going to talk about what we might adjust that you can commit to tomorrow versus me telling you what to do because I have to throw this in, Rick, and then I'll, then I'll breathe. I get so amped up about accountability. People cannot be accountable for what you tell them to do. Let me say that again. People cannot be accountable for what you tell them to do. They can be responsible, but not accountable because they didn't promise you anything. They just sort of, oh, okay, well, that's not a commitment. Yeah, okay, not a commitment. So if you want people to be accountable, get really clear and ask them to commit. Now you got an accountability conversation. That's fantastic. One of my directors on my board always says, Rick, you don't want to manage people. You want to manage people's promises. Mm. And I, I, I absolutely really love that. Yeah. I might steal that. That's <laughs> Please really do. Good. Yeah. I don't think it's really trademarked good. or anything like that, but that's something that I started moving my team in once I put the board in place a couple months ago. And it's, man, it's just incredible. Well, where can everybody find you, my man? Because this is just, I think you're just a wealth of just just a cornucopia of gold nuggets. <laughs> You're just well, amazing, Jeff. Well, the short answer, Rick, is if they can spell my last name, which is N-I-S-C-H-W-I-T-Z, and you remember Jeff, it's easy because apparently there aren't very many of us in the world. So if you Google so. me, it's easy. But you can find me on my website, which is nishwitzgroup.com. I also have a leadership, another separate leadership venture called Cardivera. C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com, which stands for True Heart of Leadership. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect there. My email is jeff at nishwitzgroup.com. And I love to have conversations with people who want to shake things up. That's the only way to roll, man. That's how it's got to be. <laughs> so I live my life every right day, on. my friend. Thanks for being on. I appreciate you. Thanks, Drick. It was a pleasure. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.